Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for our small group discussion. After you have your small group discussion, be sure to check out the show notes and use that link in the show notes to submit your attendance and any questions to me, Pastor Haig, and I'll follow up with you personally. Now, come join this resurrection life together. This particular sermon series is entitled Happily Ever After from Pastor Mike Novotny at The Core in Appleton, Wisconsin. You can check out the show notes for more about The Core. Well, welcome to our very first week of a brand new sermon series, Happily Ever After. According to my Disney-addicted daughters, our family has exactly 40 days until we can run to the movie theaters and see this. The new Beauty and the Beast. If you haven't heard of it, you don't have daughters who are eight and nine. Now, even if you've never seen the original Beauty and the Beast, I get... I would guess if you know anything about Disney that you could probably guess what the plot is, right? Guy meets girl. Well, in this case, guy cursed with that normal amount of body hair meets girl. Um, Guy falls in love with girl. Guy overcomes the villain. And then guy and girl live happily ever after. That's a script, right? That's always the script with Belle and the Beast, with Eric and Ariel, with Shrek and Fiona, with every possible Disney movie you could ever see. This is how it works. You got to meet the one and then you got to fall in love and then you got to overcome some obstacle. And then, and only then can you live happily ever after. But if that's the script, I want to ask this morning, what about us? What do you think about when you see a logo like our, our sermon series logo, people who don't hold hands in happy marriage, but people who've been, divorced and people who are single and people who aren't sure about the commitment of marriage. What about people like us? What then? What about the story where guy meets girl, guy falls in love with girl, girl doesn't really love guy, guy ends up single and 35. What about guy meets girl, girl falls in love with guy, three years later she's waiting for the ring to live happily ever after. What about guy meets girl, girl divorces guy, and they come to church and see married couples and their heart breaks a little bit each time? What about girl never meets the right guy? What about guy meets girl, girl falls in love with guy, they get married, but five years and two kids later, they're not that happy and they wonder if they can do this forever after. What about all the stories that I think about when I look at a diverse group of people like you? What about happiness then? You know, Disney gives us this script that says, if you follow this path, you can find happiness. But if you're not on that path, well, maybe your story won't be that happy. And so today what I want to do as we kick off this series is to question the script. What if the script that our culture has been giving us is not the path to the best happiness, but actually something that will rob you of the happiness that God wants to give? What if it's that false cultural script that has been making Christians feel bad for being single? What if it's that script that has set us up with bad expectations that lead to fractured and failing marriages? What if it's the script that makes some Christians feeling guilty for getting a divorce when God said they could? And some Christians who get a divorce, even though God says they can't. What if it's setting husbands and wives up to fail because we've forgotten about the true script for happiness, the script that God, our loving Father, gives in his word? 
And what if I ask there's a different script? A script that God would give. For his single sons, his divorced daughters, and all his married kids in the middle. What if that script could lead us to what the Bible calls a peace that goes beyond understanding? A contentment that satisfied whatever the situation and relationship status. A kind of happiness that can't be touched by divorce or singleness or a rough season in marriage. For the next five weeks, that's what I want to explore with you as we open the Bible. What does God say about being single and saved or married and saved or divorced and saved? What kind of happiness does our Heavenly Father offer? Now, if we're going to do that together over the next month, uh, you have to make me a promise. The promise is that you will care about the person sitting next to you. Because obviously, if we have a sermon series like this, every week isn't going to be about your status. Unless you're single for week two, and then you're dating someone during week three, you get married before week four, and then you're divorced by week five, which I would definitely not recommend. There's going to be a lot of weeks where you come and you say, okay, this isn't me. But here's what I want you to know. As a pastor, I realize that no matter what our status, we need each other. I'm a married man. Being a good husband is not easy. I need the advice, the wisdom, the encouragement, and the prayers of my single brothers and sisters. If you're dating, you need the wisdom and encouragement of those who've been divorced and dated for the wrong reasons and maybe even the wrong people. If you're single, you need to learn that marriage isn't always all it's cracked up to be. And there's some beautiful parts about worshiping God and sleeping by yourself. We're going to need to encourage and pray for one another that all of us, no matter what our status, can glorify God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you make that promise to me today? All right, good. Because we're going to kick things off uh, today with the institution of marriage. This whole idea of marriage even existing, where did it come from and what does God say about it? Now, I'm guessing that you would agree with me that few things in our culture have changed more than our perception of marriage. Do you know, if you go back to 1960, that 68% of people in their 20s in this country were married. 68%. By the year 2008, that percentage had plummeted to 26%. Right now, for the first time in American history, the average American will spend more of their life single than married. Why do you think that is? Why did our grandparents rush into marriage where young people today are saying, I'm not so sure? Why are so many young people scared and skeptical of the commitment that their parents and ancestors were willing to make? Why do some people, not just out in the world, but in the church, I've heard them say, well, marriage is just a piece of paper and God knows our heart and our love. What's changed? Do you think it's divorce? Have too many of us seen just the ugliness of divorce up close? We've been through it ourselves. We saw mom and dad go through it and we're scared to make that commitment. Could it be the cultural shift that we can sleep together and we can live together and we can be best friends and we can have children, but we don't need the official recognition of marriage? Maybe. But I think there's something bigger behind the hesitation with marriage. I think that we, as a culture, have forgotten about the blueprint. We've totally lost sight of the original plan that our Heavenly Father had for marriage. 
We've forgotten his design. We've forgotten as men and as husbands what we're supposed to do when we say, I do. And many women have done the same as wives. And so what I want to do for you this morning is to go back to the very first blueprint. The only marriage that was literally a match made in heaven where God handpicked a man and a woman and he brought them together and he made marriage happen. And my prayer is that for all all of us here today who are married or one day will be married, that we will know what God says leads to the happiest life as husband and wife. So if you brought a Bible with you or you want to just check out on the screen, we're going to jump back to Genesis chapter 2 and we're going to start today with verse 8. Look at these words. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Now, what does that have to do with marriage? Um, nothing yet, but, but hear me out. Uh, in the beginning, there was not a guy and a girl. There was just a guy and a garden. There was not Adam and Eve. There was just Adam and Eden. And God made this man and he made this place and he put the man in the place And his job was not just to work, but to worship. That's what Adam would do. He would look around at this paradise that he lived in, and every day as he went to work, as he picked fruit from the trees, as he ate it and enjoyed it, he would think how wonderful it was to be in the presence of God. That's what Eden was, right? This paradise where God walked and was present. In fact, the word Eden, it's kind of debated by like linguistic scholars, but they think it comes from a word that means delight or luxury. Because for Adam, it was this luxury, it was this delight to be in this place, this perfect place in the perfect presence of God. Whenever Adam went to work, he went to worship. And that's not all. Uh, Look at the next verse, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What does that have to do with marriage? Well, hear hear me out for just one second. Uh, Not only was Adam going to work on all these trees, he was going to avoid this one tree. Some people have have wondered over the years, why in the world would God do that? He'd plop this tree with forbidden fruit right in front of Adam's face. Why would he even lead Adam into the possibility of sin? And the Bible doesn't exactly answer the question, but I kind of like what Martin Luther suggested 500 years ago. He said, God put the tree in the middle of the garden so Adam could worship. So every time he was enjoying this fruit, he would look at this fruit and he'd say, no, God is good, and that's bad. And every time he'd smile and walk around the tree, he would be saying, essentially, God is everything I need. I'm happy in his presence. I don't need to disobey. I don't need to sin. As long as I'm with God, this is the happiest life I could possibly have. So whether Adam was working on these trees or walking past this one, his life was full of worship in the presence of God. Now, to the big question, what in the world does all that have to do with marriage? Uh, Well, here's what. You might not notice it now, but if you would read further in the Bible, you would find out that the fact that it's just Adam at this point is not an accident. In the New Testament, it says that God created Adam first, 
And God spoke these important words about worship and sin and life and death to the husband because he had a special job for this man. Soon his wife would be created and Adam's job would be to share the happiness that he found in obedience in the presence of God with his wife. It's what the Bible sometimes called being the head of your marriage. Now, uh, some ladies cringe when they hear that, especially if you're married, the head of the household. And you think the guy gets to crack the whip and ring a bell and you have to do what he says. That's like that's the worst. Okay, if someone's ever told you that, it has nothing to do with what the Bible says. Uh, instead, what God is saying is that the man's job as the head is to grab his wife's hand and to lead her into the happiest life in the presence of God. If I was going to summarize this, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, it's this, that a husband's call is to lead his wife to the happiest life. And have you ever heard that phrase before, happy wife, happy life? Um, it's it's kind of true, but not in this super patronizing, emasculating, yes, honey, yes, dear. You know, you hear these jokes at weddings and it makes me want to vomit and open a Bible and just preach to people. Like, wait, you, you want a guy just to step back, just be super passive and timid and let his wife do whatever she wants? Uh-uh. God has a better plan. I'm going to step forward in faith. I'm going to grab my wife's hand and I'm going to say, honey, here's what God taught me in the Bible. Let me lead you into his presence. Isn't what that God's getting at? He says, if you eat from this fruit, you will die. Meaning you're going to be separate from me. You're going to have to lead this garden. There's going to be sorrow and sin. You're going to be sad. Or right now, if you obey me, you're going to be happy. Adam's job as the head of his household was to repeat that command to talk about the glory and the goodness of God and lead his wife into his presence. So, as a church family, how do you think we do at that? Now, I'm not sure of all the, the St. Peter members, but I picked up this the other day, our official St. Peter core church directory, and I tried to find every marriage that we have at our downtown campus. I counted 67 total married couples. Now, if you had to guess, how many of those 67 husbands lead their wives to worship pretty much every Sunday? What would you guess? Got a number in your head? Uh, The answer for our church is 52. That's not bad, huh? 78% of the husbands of our church make Sunday worship a priority. It's, It's one of the ways they lead their wives spiritually. Now, I realize that there's way, way, way more to leading someone spiritually than just showing up for an hour. But I thank God for my brothers in the faith who believe the blueprint. Because the truth is, we men face crazy temptation every single week to think that our home is going to be happier with something besides God. Do you know how the first sadness happened in the first marriage? Is that Adam took a step back and let his wife sit there and be tempted spiritually without leading her. You might read Genesis 3 where Eve took a bite of the forbidden fruit. And then the very next line says, And Adam, her husband, was there with her. Not leading her to God, but standing back as she walked away from God. And the same thing happens today. If, if the devil can tempt a husband to take a step back and not lead spiritually, If the enemy can make a man passionate about something other than God, the best that the best husband can give 
is temporary happiness. If a guy gets really excited about some game, but not about God, uh, if he can plan with passion the next vacation, but he doesn't plan a family devotion, if he thinks that his real job is to provide for his family by putting food on the table, and he'll spend 50 hours a week doing it, but he doesn't spend one hour a week putting food into their soul, If tomorrow morning, God can get the guys talking about the message of their favorite commercial instead of the message that they heard here in worship, uh, he's got us. Because the best that we could give to our wives in this temporary world is temporary happiness. Uh, In a sense, a husband who doesn't walk into the presence of God with his wife is like the family drug dealer. He gives her little hits of happiness But he robs her of the stability and sobriety that can only come from being in the satisfying presence of God. So husbands, listen to me. And you young men, listen to me. What a woman wants is God. She might not know it, But when she craves beauty and love and companionship and approval, what was wired deep in her soul is a craving that can only be met in God. And so flowers, they're great. Husbands, you should buy them and buy them often. But you know what happens to flowers? They die. (laughs) You know what doesn't? The beautiful promises of God. They never fall like dead petals on the kitchen table. Vacations are fun. You should plan them and you should budget for them, but they can only give rest for so many days. But Jesus can give your wife a kind of rest that lasts forever, a rest you don't have to pay for, a rest that doesn't run out, a rest that is ours by the blood of Jesus Christ. Marble countertops in the kitchen, no elbows, gentlemen, right? They're great. Maybe you want to buy her that next Christmas. But you know what she needs is a rock. She needs God to be her rock that she can lean on and find foundation when she's stressed and overwhelmed with the kids and she's battling chemo. What she craves is is God. She wants someone to tell her she's beautiful. And, And no matter how old and wrinkled she gets, that's what God will say. She wants someone to understand her. And and Jesus is one who understands us. That's what she needs. She wants someone to love her, to never leave her or forsake her. And that's exactly what God says. So the best thing we could ever do for a woman is to lovingly grab her hand and lead her into the presence of God. So, man, how, how do we make that work? Um, there's a lot of ways that you can lead spiritually. Let me give you just a few quick suggestions. One, uh, at our welcome center just outside the doors, you could pick up one of these. That's the sheet I passed out at the core a few weeks ago called 10 Tips to sanctuary success. Uh, Just good wisdom that I've learned over the years about how to bring the Bible into your home each day. Or uh, as soon as this service is done, you could jump on your phone and register for the Men of His Word conference. Did you know the biggest men's conference in our entire denomination is this upcoming Saturday? Uh, I'll be speaking there. Five to six hundred men will gather. Forty bucks that you could sign up and learn about marriage and sex and fatherhood and being a man of God. Do you know in less than one month in De Pere, uh, one of our sister churches, St. Mark Lutheran, is hosting a marriage retreat? I'll be there with my wife. Maybe you could surprise your wife in the next few days. Or maybe you could join the YouVersion community. 
the Y-O-U version Bible app. Have you heard of this? There's dozens of men at our church who encourage each other by signing up for devotional plans, writing comments, uh, spurring each other on to love and good deeds. I'm not sure what you do, but but I hope you do something. Because I know you love that woman. And the best way to love her is to bring her into the presence of the God who is love. That's what this guy did. Uh, That's Drew Holcomb. Uh, He's a a pretty famous musician. And that's his wife, Ellie Holcomb, who's a pretty famous Christian musician. Uh, Two years ago, Ellie came to our campus at the core and gave a concert. and, And many people still talk about the story she told about Drew's proposal. Because it didn't go according to the script. You know, he didn't say the sappy things that guys say, I'll be here for you always and I'll love you forever. You know what Drew said to Ellie? Uh, he said, I- I'm going to fail you, but God won't. And I'm not always going to be there for you, but God will. And so I don't want you to love me more than anything in this world. I want to help you love God more than anything in the world. And do you think as this married Christian woman told the story on stage, she was pretty sad? Nope. Because a happy wife is a happy life. And happiness is found in being led into the presence of God. All right, that's husbands. Now let's go to part two. What, what about wives? Uh, What does God have to say? Well, it was fascinating to me after all the years of reading Genesis 2 that I never saw the connection. God makes man to work and worship. He says, don't eat from the tree. This is how you worship me. And then the very next verse, God starts talking about wives. And look what he says in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Wives, here's your calling. To be a helper. Now, don't be offended by that title. You're not like the help, okay? Let's uh, just be clear about the difference. In the Hebrew language, the word for helper is the word azer, E-Z-E-R. Most commonly in the Bible, do you know who the word azer is applied to? God. If you ever heard of the name Eliezer, which is a good Jewish boy's name, El is Hebrew for God, and azer means helper. God is my helper. Uh, To be a helper to your husband doesn't mean you're inferior or weak. Instead, it means that there is some strength, almost like the strength that God provides that you can give to your husband. Uh, But it begs the question, what kind of help did Adam need? He was in a perfect place. He had God with him. He had all these animals. It was paradise. It was Eden. It was delightful. What was he missing? I mean, if he needed help to work in the garden, wouldn't the animals be way better than a woman? No offense, the the giraffes could reach the fruit, the dogs could dig the holes, the birds could plant the seeds, the monkeys could scurry around. What was Adam missing? Adam was missing someone that was suitable for him. Because out of all of creation, only Adam had a soul. And he needed a soul mate. 
he needed someone who could only be satisfied in the presence of God like he could. And so God created her body and soul in his image, male and female. And her calling would be to help. It's not good for the man to pursue me and worship me alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. If I was going to summarize what a wife's calling looks like, I would put it like our next fill in the blank. It's to help with God's plan to satisfy her man. Ladies, if you want to know, the best thing you can do for your husband is to satisfy him. Now, don't wink at me just yet, gentlemen. All right? (laughs) No elbows at this point. Do you know this? The only thing that will satisfy a man is God. You could double the amount of sex. You could give him a car that's twice as fast. You could buy him a new boat and tickets to the big game, but his heart would not be set, whether he knows it or not. What a man needs is God. He was created in the image of God until God's image is deep within his soul. He will never be happy, not for very long. And you ladies maybe have no clue how much we need your help to remember that. So many of us get so distracted by so many temporary things that we need a good woman to remind us of the power and the presence of God. We need a woman to speak to us in the middle of our stress the words, but God, but, but honey, God has got this. But honey, God forgives this. But, but honey, God is with us. Yeah, you have this struggle. We have this struggle. We, we don't know how we're going to pay these bills, but God. And a woman who says those two words again and again and again, but God, but God, but God, she is the greatest help to her husband's heart. She brings a level of satisfaction that no amount of sex ever could. So ladies, I want you to bury those two words into your identity as wives, but God. And let me give you uh, some homework practically. If you're married here today, would you for the next seven days start a sentence with those two words and leave it as a reminder to your husband? Honey, I know we're going through, but God. Leave it as a post-it note on the bathroom mirror. Text it to him when he's at work, put it on the steering wheel of his car, remind him of the only God that will satisfy. That's the way you can help your man. That's what this woman did. Uh, That's Katie Luther, the wife of Martin Luther. She's an interesting story. You should Google it sometime. Uh, She was smuggled out of a monastery in a smelly fish barrel, and then Martin Luther married her. Uh, She was a smart sassy, snarky woman who is perfect for the great reformer of the Christian church. Um, The story goes that one day Martin Luther was in a funk. He was busy and overwhelmed with all the incredible work that he was doing in the Christian church, and he was moping around their home day after day after day. And so his wife, who was watching all this happen, she, she came downstairs into his presence wearing a complete black dress. And Luther looked up at her and he said, What's with the dress? And Katie said, oh, there's a funeral. And he said, a a funeral? Who died? And she looked at her husband. She said, well, based on the way that you're acting, I thought that God did. (laughs) That's super snarky, isn't it? (laughs) But it's awesome. (laughs) She was saying, but God, but 
but God is with you. But God has the situation in his hands. But God has got this, honey. Why are you moping? Why aren't you rejoicing in the promises that you preach? But God, she was a helper suitable for her husband. He leads her to God. She helps him into the presence of God. That's what God designed marriage to be. Let's look at the last verses from our text today. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now that rib part is pretty interesting, isn't it? What, <laughs> what in the world? I'm still not sure. It's super weird that God would make a woman out of a rib instead of sugar and spice and everything nice. But, but here's my theory. I think if Adam's job was to protect his wife's heart by bringing her into God's presence, then, then the best way to symbolize that would be with the thing that protects her heart. <laughs> and then the wedding happens. God makes a woman and he brings her to the man like a, a proud father. He walks her down the aisle into Adam's presence. He says, yowza, because she's naked and she's beautiful and she's different. And then the marriage happens and God says, there's one new family. There is one flesh and you will have one focus to live happily ever after in my presence. So put it all together and you have the answer. That's our last fill in the blank. The, the point of marriage for every Christian is the pursuit of God. A happy marriage, a sad marriage, everyone who follows Jesus Christ, the point of their marriage should be the pursuit of God. So if you're married here today, let me leave you with one last bit of homework and one final blessing. The homework is, especially for husbands, would you go home and ask your wife, how can I help you pursue God and listen to the answer. And wives, you, you ask, honey, how can I help you pursue God? Because no matter what happens in all the ups and downs, the sickness, the health, the better or the worse, the best thing that you can do is to bring the one you love into the presence of love that will never fail. That's the blueprint. And now let me leave you with a blessing. I know, as I think about all the stories who are gathered here this morning, that there, there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of sin that we think about. There's a lot of seasons of marriage where maybe we say, I did not do that right and not even close. But that's why I love this part of the Bible. Because it's not just a blueprint. It is filled with a blessing. In fact, did any of you notice there was a phrase in this text that was repeated not once or twice, but eight times? You catch that? Let me show you. It said, The Lord God planted, the Lord God made, the Lord God took, the Lord God commanded, the Lord God said, the Lord God formed, the Lord God caused, the Lord God made a woman. The Lord God. <laughs> and not just as a husband, but as a Christian, I love, I love seeing those two words together. Do you know what the Lord God means? Lord is a Hebrew word, the word Yahweh. And it means the God who is. 
who's always there, who's always faithful. When you see Lord in all capital letters, think of the word love. God is the Hebrew word El, like Eliezer or Elohim, and it, it means might and power and majesty. When you see God, think about great. And when God puts these together, the Lord God, he's thinking of love and greatness, power and compassion. And as all of us walk out of these doors today, and and we're all searching for happily ever after, I want you to know this, that the Lord God is with you. That Jesus is the Lord God. He came into this world, not, not with power, but with love. In fact, when he stretched out his arms on the cross, he he didn't use his power at all because he wanted to show you the depth of God's love. He knew that your sin would have separated you from the presence of God. And so what did he do? He gave up his life so that you could be in his presence. Jesus is like the perfect groom, the perfect husband. He grabs his sinful bride and he leads her back to God. Jesus bleeds red so that we can wear white and worship God in a delightful, luxurious place forever and ever. He eats from the tree of death on the cross so that you and I can get back into the garden and eat from the tree of life. And he's also like the perfect wife. He helps. He forgives. He sends the Holy Spirit. He walks with us despite our flaws. And so no matter what you've done, how badly you've broken your relationships, when you walk out of those doors, I want you to think of this. The Lord God is with me. Because that's the only way the Disney script is right. You got to meet the one, and then you got to fall in love, and then you can live happily ever after. And as long as you know the one is the Lord God, well, the script might be true. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I pray that you would, you would help us because we need it. Um, it is so easy for us men to, to abuse our power and our position and our voice and pull people away from you instead of drawing them towards you. God, would you forgive us? Would you rebuke and crush any hard-hearted, stubborn man who is not giving up everything to be a blessing to his bride? And would you rebuild him into your image by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, give every husband who's gathered here today a spirit of selflessness, a spirit of submission. Let him be the first one to say you first and be the kind of blessing that his bride has always wanted. And I pray, God, for every wife who's here today. I know every woman who's married is married to a very imperfect, flawed, sinful man. Would you open every wife's eyes to your grace, the way that you treat her when she doesn't deserve it, that she could be a help and a blessing and a beacon of grace to her husband? Finally, God, help us as a church family. Uh, We're going to need one another to make this happen in in the week to come. So would you bless our conversations, our life groups, the words that are spoken in the lobby after the service? Would you help us to care about one another? That we could be the one place in the Christian church that the world looks to and says, wow, how do they make marriage work? Let this marriage reflect your glory and your love. God, we pray all these things in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen. Amen.